0: This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. I've been waiting all week to say that to you. And I can see that a few of us are sleeping in a little bit this morning, but that's okay, they'll show up soon enough. And uh, before we begin and go any further, I'd just like to offer an added word of prayer, so would you bow your heads with me? Loving Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the Sabbath. Thank you so much for the blessings that we have been receiving this week at GYC. Thank you for feeding us, and Lord, as we gather At this morning hour, at the end of 2011, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be present and to speak to our hearts. May you challenge us today and change us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Once upon a time, there were three kings who traversed afar, but they weren't following a star. No, these three kings were on a very different mission. They were on their way to stamp out a growing, brewing Moabite rebellion. They were the kings of Israel, Judah and Edom. Based on all the intelligence that they had received, they had decided to march their allied forces down through the desert, around the Dead Sea, up through Edom, and then they intended to strike Moab by surprise and from the south. It was an ambitious venture, and apparently all three of them, all three kings, decided to embark upon it without even so much as a prayer. For seven days they marched this mighty army through the desert. And friends, for seven days, they dreamed of the sweet victory that would be theirs. But after just seven days, they ran into a major problem. They forgot about where they were going to get enough water to help them last the journey. They just ran out of water. How they did this beats me, because everybody knows that you can't get very far without, without water. Our blood is 90 percent water. And so I invite you to join me now in their plight in the book of Second Kings, Second Kings chapter three, Second Kings chapter three, and we will pick up reading in verse 10, Second Kings, chapter three, and verse 10. Second Kings chapter three, verse ten takes us to the heart of the story, and notice what the king of Israel says in Second Kings chapter three and verse ten. He says, "Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab." Now, question: Had this been God's idea? Nope. These three kings completely owned this one. And yet as Jehoram surveys his crumbling cause, he is quick to put the blame on God. He blames God for their mess. And friends, you and I, if we go anywhere without Jesus, we too will find ourselves in a situation like these armies found themselves in. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn for themselves cisterns broken that cannot hold water. And friends, Jesus said, without me, you can do how much? Nothing. So go anywhere without Jesus and homes become hot deserts full of hot tempers and sharp words. Without Jesus, our lives are barren, and meaningless. And here's a quote from the Review and Herald, May 19, year, in, in 1904. She wrote The promise of the Spirit is a matter little thought of, and the result is only what might be expected spiritual drought, spiritual weakness, spiritual declension, and death. One night, the captain of a Greenland, Greenland whaling vessel he found himself surrounded by icebergs out in the Arctic Sea. And fearing at any moment to be ground to death, he nervously waited until morning before he decided what to do next. And when morning came, as he peered through the mist there on that cold sea, he saw in the distance a strange, mysterious vessel just sitting there in the water not that far from him. So he called some of his crew members together. They jumped in a little boat and rowed out to see this vessel. And as they got to the vessel, they called out to the vessel. Is anyone there? But there was no sound, no response. He peered through the porthole and he saw the captain sitting at his desk as though he was writing in a logbook, but he was frozen and didn't move. As they continued to survey the ship, they found sailors lying in hammocks, some in the cabin, Evidently, according to the logbook, this ship with its frozen crew had been sailing, just floating through the Arctic for 13 long years. And friends, without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are like that frozen ship manned by its frozen crew. Yes, we may have the appearance of life and a name that we are alive, but really we are spiritually dead without Jesus. And so we read verse 11. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And what did they say? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Isn't that interesting? How Elisha just happened to be there in the middle of the desert at this point in time, the Bible doesn't say. But friends, I do know this, that there is never a crisis with the Lord. Can you say amen? amen? God had foreseen this situation. And so he had his prophet there ready and waiting to speak a word on his behalf. And I am so grateful to God for the spirit of prophecy, aren't you? Praise God for his prophets. So, the three kings, the Bible tells us, they went to see Elisha. And I am sure up until this point in time, Elisha had wondered why God had called him to the desert. But you know what? Elisha had obediently obeyed God's call because it is not the part of faith to question. It is the part of faith to obey. Amen? And after Elisha rebukes the king of Israel, rebukes Jehoram, for blaming God with their unfaithfulness and their plight, he makes an interesting request in verse 15. He says, But now bring me a musician. And then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Before Elisha stood a heathen, a heretic, and a saint. The king of Edom cared nothing for God. He was the heathen. The king of Israel, Jehoram, well he was the heretic because he was the second son of Ahab and Jezebel and he lived in open rebellion against God. The Bible tells us that. And the saint was Jehoram. For years, sorry not Jehoram, Jehoshaphat. For years Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, had been faithful to God. He had walked with God but now he had made a very disappointing decision without God. And the sight of the three of these men together must have really grieved Elisha's heart. It must have troubled him. And so he calls for a musician because he needed to hear God. And friends, that's the kind of music we ought to listen to. The music that allows us to hear the voice of God. Thousands of soldiers waited while the music played and the prophet prayed. And the Bible tells us that as this music was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon him. That is Old Testament jargon for the Holy Spirit came upon him. And what happened? What was the message that God had for him? Verse 16. And he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. Verse 17. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, Nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. And all the people said, Amen. Ah, I don't think so. Can you imagine the stir that this message must have caused? I'm sorry, but did you just hear him say that God wants us to make, to dig, to make the whole valley full of bitches? I'm sure a sweaty soldier somewhere must have wondered if the sun had gotten to the prophet's head or something. I mean, they'd already hit rock bottom and now God was calling them to dig? Why, nobody had even brought a spade. What were they going to dig with? And none of them were feeling especially spiritual either. I mean, it's hard enough for us sometimes feeling spiritual and being spiritual when we're stuck for 20 minutes in an air conditioned car. But these blokes had been out in the hot sun of the desert. They were tired. They're, they were sunburnt. Their lips were parched. I feel thirsty just thinking about them. Do you? The last thing any of them wanted to do was hard work. Why? Because if you start digging in a dry place, well, the ground will either be hard, or if it's a sandy place, the moment you start digging, the walls start caving in. Have you ever dug a sand pit? Yeah. So this was a very strange thing, and from a human point of view, it sounded absurd. But friends, Jehoshaphat had walked with God enough To know that obedience to God's word is the only way. Amen? It was dig or die as far as he was concerned. And so they started to dig. The sun went down and they kept digging. All night long they dug. It was hard, humbling work. Their arms were sore, their back was aching. They were tired, and to top it all off, they were so severely dehydrated, their thirst was unquenchable. But when the morning sun rose, still it found them digging. And there's something we can learn from that. Because many times in our lives, God may ask you to do things that you don't think you're able to do. God's commandment to you may seem impossible, But remember, God called Noah to build an ark before it had even rained. Remember that God told Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation while he and Sarah were in the sunset years of their lives. Remember that God called Ezekiel to preach to a valley of dry bones. Remember, God said, go forward when the children reached the borders of the Red Sea and they had the sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them. And when you remember this, Know this, that if God calls you to do something that seems impossible, it is simply because He intends to do it through you. God intends to empower you to be able to go through with it. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your strength. No, He says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And friends, in digging... They were learning to lean on Jesus. And I believe here at this conference, as we have been spending time on our knees last night, as we made that commitment to God, as, we, as we've been emptying ourselves of ourselves and inviting Jesus to come into our hearts and confessing our sin, Friend, as we, as we let these things go and make room for God in our lives, I believe that you and I are opening up channels in our lives, ditches, if you like, where God is going to be able to pour out a blessing for you. And there may be times when you have heard the word preached here at GYC and you're thinking, because the Holy Spirit's impressing upon your heart, this has got to change. That's got to stop. This has got to go. And you're thinking, I can't do it. You're right, you can't. And he never said you could. Because he can. And he always said he would. Amen? Verse 20. Now it happened in the morning, when the grain offering was offered, that suddenly water came by way of Edom, and the land was filled with water. Friends, the psalmist was right. Weeping only lasts for a night. Because joy comes in the morning. And I don't know how God did it, but he did it. Without a sound or sign from sources apparently impossible and invisible. A mighty flood came stealing into their dry valley when the morning came. And their ditches were all Filled, not partially, but fully with that living water, crystal waters reflecting the morning sun from off the red hills of Edom. With shouts of joy, the thirsty soldiers scrambled to find their way to their ditches as they plunged their faces into the water. And beside them, their animals, they drank thirstily and greedily and happily beside them. It was a wonderful, wonderful morning. And friends, the smallest step in obedience to God is always a giant step to blessing. Because they had obeyed God, God had been able to bless them. The water had been available to them only because they were obedient. During the world war 1, during world war 1, the Australian soldiers they would call each other not just mates, but diggers. the reason why they'd call each other diggers was because they lived much of the time on the war front in trenches that they had dug. They would fight from these trenches. And so friends, as far as the Australian slang was concerned, a digger was a soldier. And friends, as far as God is concerned, we are all God's diggers as well. We are the channels through which God intends to take his fountain of living water to the world, to your family, to your neighbors, to your friends. We are the army that God has raised up for such a time as this. And friends, the Bible tells us that what happened in the desert back then is going to very soon happen in our church. Amen? Come with me to the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2. Book of Joel. Hosea, Joel. Joel chapter 2. And notice with me what the Bible says about the flood that's coming. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass afterward... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants, I will not just sprinkle, but pour out my spirit in those days. Friends, there is a gusher coming to this church, a mighty flood that the world has not yet seen. And I believe that just as the men in the valley had a work to do in preparing for the water that was coming, so too as a church we have a work to do in preparing for the latter rain to come into our church and into our lives. There was once a king who noticed a subject in his kingdom who was always being so good and so kind to everybody else. And so he wanted to give him something as a reward for his, well, just being a good citizen. And so he called the man in before him and he told him what he'd like to do. And he said, listen, I will give you one day to walk around however much land you're able to walk around in one day. And whatever you're able to walk around, I want to give it to you as a thank you for what you're doing in this empire. And without hesitation, that man took his staff and he drew a circle around himself. when he did, the king was kind of shocked. He said, do you mean you only want what's in the circle? The man said, no, your highness, I want everything outside it. And that man was bold in his request of that king. And friends, as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, you and I can be bold in what we pray and expect from God because our God is a great God. Amen? He is able to bring forth streams in the desert. Matthew Henry once said, they that expect God's blessings must prepare room for them. Friends, are you preparing room in your life for the blessing, for the flood that is about to come? Because God can only fill us to the extent that we are willing to yield to Him. God's not going to move until we do. Prepare half-heartedly, and you, will, you and I will only prepare. Heart will only receive, sorry, half of the blessing that God has in store for us. The men in the valley, those that dug deeply, receive more. The bigger the ditch, the more water they've received. And so, friends, I encourage you today, dig deeply in your spiritual life. Dig deeply in the Word. Dig and dig as much as you want to receive. Clear a space for God in your relationships. Clear a space for God in your time. And that's an important one. Got it. Clear a space for God in your finances. Make room for God in every area of your lives because He is going to bless us With an outpouring of his spirit. We need to trust in God as though everything depended upon him. But we ought to work as though everything depended upon us. A lady once said, let me just frame this story a bit better. There was a revival meeting. And at this revival meeting, God moved in a powerful way. And there was a man that came to this revival meeting who always came to the revivals that were held every year at this particular church. But every, in between every revival, he would always backslide. He'd always stop coming to church, always fall back in his spiritual walk with God. And so when this revival came, he was there again. And as the word was preached, he felt revived. He felt revived again. And in a burst of emotion, a great burst of emotion, he cried out for God to fill him. And the moment he did it, there was a lady sitting in the church, an old lady, and she had seen his many revivals and his many backslidings. And the moment she heard him cry out for the filling of the Spirit, he, she said, don't do it, Lord, because he leaks. Because he is always leaking. Now, friends, the reality is this. Without Jesus, all of us leak. We need to be continually refilled. Continually refilled by Jesus. So don't just wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Prepare for Him. Prepare. Prepare largely. Prepare vigorously. Because when God works, He works like God. I think of the verse in Romans. Come with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 32. Romans chapter 8 verse 32. The Bible says in Romans 8 verse 32 that he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God wants to freely give us all things. So prepare for God's blessing. We go back now to our story. Sorry, we've got to go back to 2 Kings chapter 3 again. Because that was not all God wanted to give them. Water wasn't just the only thing. There was something else. 2 Kings chapter 3 again. And we pick up our reading in verse 21. 2 Kings chapter 3 verse 21. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings, the three kings, had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning and the sun was shining on the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now therefore Moab to the spoil. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land killing the Moabites." Friends, not only did God meet their need and give give them water, but he also gave them the victory. Friends, my Bible tells me that God goes above and beyond our highest expectations. Amen? And I believe that Satan is afraid of the fact that one day you and I are going to work out just how big God really is. Story is told of Napoleon Bonaparte who as he was surveying a map of the world, he laid his finger on a certain portion of that map and he growled, here lies a sleeping giant. Let her sleep, for if she wakes, she will shake the world. The giant of which he spoke was China. And friends, I believe that when Satan looks at this church, it's almost like Napoleon, he looks at us and he says, oh, let her sleep. Because if she wakes, she will shake the world. This quote from the Spirit of Prophecy, last day events. There is nothing that Satan fears so much as that the people of God shall clear the way by removing every hindrance so that the Lord can pour out his Spirit upon a languishing church. And yet, friends, how many times are we caught too tired to dig, too lazy to obey God and to do what he calls us to do? There are days you will feel like digging. And there are days you may cry just having to pick up the spade. There are days when you read the Bible and you're just so excited. And there are other days where it just doesn't seem to do much. There are days when you pray and you feel your prayers go straight to the throne room of God. And there are other days where you think that your prayers just hit the ceiling. But friends, when you think like that, when you feel that God is not really speaking to you, that your prayers aren't working, don't give up. Don't let your feelings dictate your behavior. Keep reading the Word. And ask the Holy Spirit to make it living and powerful in your life. Keep praying, because God will answer your prayers. He will always come through for you. Friends, God will do His part, provided we do our part. Amen? Think, those soldiers in the valley had every... They could have given God a thousand excuses, a thousand reasons why they shouldn't have to dig in the desert. But friends, if we will just obey God and obey Him together, I believe that we will shake the world. By God's grace, we will shake this world. Just think of snowflakes. Snowflakes are really fragile. But if you put them all together, they stop traffic. And friends, that's why I believe that 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 16 ought to become as familiar to us as John 3:16, because God's calling us to dig ditches for a blessing that will come. Friends, Jesus will come. The latter rain will fall. The gospel of the, the everlasting gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. We are not preaching and not preparing for a blessing that might come. We are preparing for what will come. God's response in the valley came quickly when they prepared. You say, "Trisha, don't talk to us about things being quick. You know, we've been preaching that Jesus is coming soon for 120 years. And I know that. But friends, I really do believe, and I know that um, Pastor Cameron mentioned the other night that he believes we will see Jesus come. And I believe that too. I believe as we look around us, I believe that we are so close to the end of time. We're just not aware of it. I believe we'd be shocked if we knew just how much time we had left. Here's another quote. There is no limit to the usefulness of one who, putting self aside, makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon his heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. If his people will remove the obstructions, he will pour forth the waters of salvation in abundant streams through human channels. Friends, I believe that God wants to use you to be a powerful witness for him. You know, I used to think that I didn't have a testimony because I grew up in the church and I'd listen to people get up the front and share their testimonies and they were always so exotic and so amazing. Me, my testimony, I was born into the message. I just always went to church. But friends, I've always been also a very shy person and I know that might be hard for you to believe. But uh, my mum... She would take my sister and I to church every Sabbath growing up. And as a little girl, I would sit in my home church and I'd watch the preacher get up the front and preach. And I'd sit there and think, wow, I wish I could do that. And so I would go back home. And uh, when no one was looking, I'd go back into my room and I'd shut the door. And I'd stand in front of the mirror and I would preach to the mirror. And I tell you what, they were very deep sermons that I would preach to the mirror. Not many theologians would be able to understand the deep things that I discussed, that I preached to that mirror. And one day while I was preaching to the mirror, my sister came into my room without knocking. We shared a room back then. And she saw me preaching to the mirror and it looked fun. She said, can I play? I said, sure. And so we would play church. We played it for years. She would come, do the song service, do the welcome, say the prayer, take up the offering. And then I would get up and I would preach And when I'd finished preaching, I'd say the closing prayer, we'd sing our final hymn, and then I'd go stand at the door and shake her hand and thank her for coming. (laughs) We knew how to play church. Uh, But one day, while we were playing church, while I was playing church, uh, the head elder of our church, he came to visit, and I didn't know he was there. And I was in the middle of one of history's deepest sermons, and he saw me. He'd come to visit my dad, who wasn't going to church, and he just locked that in the back of his mind. Neil Schofield is his name. He it, locked it in the back of his mind and he thought, one day I'm going to ask that girl to preach. Well, that's one side of the story. As a 14-year-old in the high school, still a very shy person, I remember one day we showed up to school one morning and we were talking with my friends and my teacher, my English teacher walked past and she said, good morning, have you got your speeches ready? We said, speeches? She said, the one that's due in English next period, you better get your speech ready because it's next period. And so we stopped talking and we went to write our speeches for English. And when English came and we all hopped in the classroom, the teacher wrote the names of the students that would be speaking their speeches during that class and she's a teacher she knows we haven't done our homework so whose name do you think she put on the board she put my name right there on the board and so I had to get up and deliver this speech that I hadn't prepared and it was to be a speech in a book that we had read and it was to be a monologue you were to pick a character from the book and be that person and the book that I had read was a book entitled Rachel's Tears has anybody read that book? Yeah, it's a powerful book, a few people. Powerful book about a girl that was shot during the Columbine high school shootings. But If you haven't read it, don't don't worry about that for this story. But I decided that I was going to be the brother of this girl in the book. And so when my time came to give my speech to my year eight class, that's what we call it in Australia, I don't know what it is here, but I was 14, I got up and I'm delivering this speech to my classmates and as I'm going through the speech, a little light bulb went on in my head. I said, why don't you make an appeal like the evangelists do in their crusades? After all, you're just pretending to be like somebody else. And as I'm going through my speech, I thought, that is a wonderful idea. And so as I got to the end, I said, and now if you would like to accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior or forever friend, would you mind raising your hands with me? And the class did what you're doing. They just sat there. Nobody moved. My teacher was at the back of the room. She couldn't believe what was happening at the front of the room. And I was just at the front and I was just copying what I had seen done in church. You know, and I'd been going to church and I'd seen appeals done. We'd had Pastor Torres come to our church in Sydney many times and I'd seen him do the appeals. And so I had never seen an appeal done where no one responded. So I didn't know what to do if no one didn't move. So I just stood there and I wasn't moving until somebody moved. And finally, after what appeared to be an eternity to me, somebody, my best friend, she's here actually, Marika was there anyway. She was sitting in the front row and finally she put her hand up and I said, God bless you, friend, and sat down. And when I sat down, I felt awful. I went home that night and I felt terrible. I thought, my class are going to think I'm some kind of a religious nut. But friends, does God want religious nuts? No. God wants spiritual fruits, amen. <laughs> anyway, so I went home and I felt terrible. I told my mum, I said, I don't want to ever go back to school. Can you please change school? I want to change schools. I don't want to ever see my classmates again. They're just going to think I'm weird. But she said, oh, don't worry, you're just pretending. So I went to school the next morning. And to make things worse, the friends that I usually spoke to in the morning had missed the bus. So I was there all alone and my teacher walks past. She says, good morning, Charissa, walk with me. So I walk with her. She says, that was an incredible speech she gave yesterday. I said, really? She said, yes. Uh, How would you like to give it in assembly today? I said, you mean the whole thing? You mean the hands-up thing and everything? She says, yes, I've been talking to the teachers. We want the whole thing in assembly today. You got 99 out of 100. I said, really? What did I lose the mark on? She said, you went too long. Because... I went for seven minutes instead of three minutes. That's because nobody put their hand up. So I just waited for four minutes for someone to move. And friends, my teacher, she obviously saw that there was something there that God, that could be developed for God's glory. And the following year, as a 14 year old still, I'm in year nine, the opportunity came for me to enter a public speaking competition to represent my school. And when I was asked to do it, I said I had to pray about it because I'm a very shy person and I've never done it before. And I prayed about it and I decided that I would enter this competition on one condition, that I could talk about God. So I went back and I told my teacher my decision. And as a teacher, she could have looked at me and said, Sharissa, that's nice, but God won't work in a secular competition. But instead, she looked at me and she said something which has possibly been one of the most life-changing things she's ever said. She said, sir, that is the best thing that you could do. And with that encouragement, I went and I had to write a speech. But what do you write on to tell a secular audience about God? Well, I decided, my sister helped me, God helped me, to write a speech on the word eternity because in the year 2000, on New Year's Eve, uh, the Sydney Harbour Bridge lit up and there splashed across it was the word eternity so I wrote this speech and I can still remember it the day before this competition I was kneeling beside my bed I was a 14 year old U9 student and I was very nervous and as I knelt by my bed and I prayed I said Lord you and I both know that I can't do this and so I just ask you Lord please help me get through tomorrow in fact no If you let me win tomorrow, then I promise you that I will speak for you wherever you open the doors. That was the promise I made. The next day I showed up at school. It happened that our school was hosting this competition. And when I walked into the the room where the the competition was going to be held, I was very intimidated because there were students from all these other schools and dressed, you know, in their best uniforms and they talked so well. They all sounded so intelligent I remember I walked past one guy and he said, the UN don't even have a standing army. And at the time, I didn't know what the UN was. I thought it was UN. What am I doing here? And so the time came for me to deliver my speech. And I've got to cut to the chase. I can see my clock's running. Time came for me to deliver my speech to that audience. And I got up and I began to tell them about God. But as I was going through this speech on eternity, something happened. My principal walked into the classroom while I was in the middle of my speech. And rule number one in public speaking competitions, you do not enter or leave a room when someone is speaking because it's highly distracting. But my principal walked in. And as soon as he walked in, the page that I had memorized and was reading in my head just vanished. And I was left staring at this audience and it looked like pause for effect because I had a serious face on And I didn't know what to do. And in my mind, I was panicking. What comes next? Where was I up to? And then a miracle happened. My mouth just started talking, just started telling people about God while my head was in confusion. And as I started listening to what was happening, I said, oh, yeah, that's right. That's where I was. And I kept going. It happened a second time. Classmates were walking past the room and they were waving at me through the window. Again, the page in my head just vanished again My mouth just starts going, telling people about God. A third time it happened. Three times I lost the words. Three times God came through and he helped me. He gave me the words. And when I finished, I sat down and I felt shaken. I felt like Jeremiah. I felt like God had just reached down and put his words in my mouth. Well, that was only half the competition. The next half was an impromptu section, and I am terrible at impromptu speeches, and I was the worst one there. So when the time came for them to announce the winner, they announced three winners, they announced someone else, someone else, and then they announced me. I couldn't believe it. And I went up to the uh, adjudicator afterwards, because that's what you were meant to do, and he said to me, Sharissa, that was an incredible speech. Could have been in the senior division. Just one thing take God out of it for the next round. And I thanked him and then I went away and my teacher said, what did he say? And I told her and she said, Sharissa, do you remember why you went into this? I said, yes. She said, then I wouldn't change a thing. I went to the next round of the competition and I lost. I didn't win anything. But friends, my promise to God was this. If you let me win tomorrow, then I promise you that I'll speak for you wherever you open the doors. And friends, from that day to this, I have endeavored to be faithful to God. And I have endeavoured to go wherever he opens the doors. That's why I'm here. God has called me to dig in places where I felt it was impossible for me to dig. To do things that I didn't think I could do. But friends, when we make room for God, when we will just do what he calls us to do, God will send through a blessing for you. Amen? And friends... It's interesting, as you read the story in 2 Kings, that when the priest offered the sacrifice, it says at the time of the morning sacrifice, when the priest offered the sacrifice on Jerusalem's sunlit hill, it opened a fountain of living waters for those soldiers in the valley. And friends, so too, centuries later, when Jesus, the Lamb of God, offered himself on the cross for you and I, he has opened a floodgate for us. He has opened and created for us a fountain of living waters so that none need go thirsty. And that army, it is no coincidence, they became an unstoppable force after they received the power of the water and of the blood. And our victory will always be in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, and verse 2. 2 Corinthians. Chapter 6, verse 2. The Bible says, Behold, I'm just reading the second part of this verse, Behold now is the accepted time. Behold now is the day of salvation. Friends, right now, today, as we are on the cusp of 2012, Now is the time that God is calling you and I to dig ditches. To dig as deep as we can and as wide as we can. Because the only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. We've got to do something. And when the prophet said dig, he didn't mean later. Friends, God is ready to move when we are ready to receive. This morning, do you crave a spiritual blessing? Do you want God to fill you? Do you? God's command to our church today is simply this. To you, make your valley full of ditches. Let every Seventh-day Adventist here at the GYC, every Seventh-day Adventist in this world that desires to be filled by God's Holy Spirit and just to, to bring the living waters of the gospel to those around them. Let them make room for God in their lives. And let them dig ditches and dig deeply so that God may fill them to overflowing. What ditches is God asking you to dig in your life? Does He wants you to spend more time on your knees in prayer. Perhaps there's someone that you need to forgive. Perhaps God is calling you to go and dig overseas in a mission field somewhere. Perhaps God wants you to share your faith more boldly, wherever it is that God may be asking you to dig. If you don't know where he's asking you to dig, ask him and he'll show you. Friends, I believe that if you'll just make that step in obedience and do it, God will bless. And um, as my brother here sings a song, I'd like to invite you to demonstrate that desire... To obey God and to go and dig in whatever area He may be calling you to dig by just standing to your feet and coming to the front. If that's your desire, if you want to go from this place and dig and dig deeply. Thank you. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC A supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.